Welcome to the Zanbergen Report, where wealth strategies and investment wisdom collide, featuring your distinguished host and certified financial planner, Bart Zanbergen. Welcome to our show of wealth makers and dream makers. We are thrilled to be back in the studio today with my new episode of the Zanbergen Report. As your host, I'm proud to bring you the movers and shakers and difference makers who are passionate about sharing what they have learned and what you need to know today. Today, I am super pleased to have good friend of mine, Basil Nassar, um, serial entrepreneur, current owner of company Boss Dog. Basil, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bart. Of course. Paul, are you going to be super surprised to know how I know Basil? I'm all, I'm all ears. Most of my guests come from where? At <laughs> from one time, the, from the one, gym at four thirty in the morning. Here is this another one? It's another. Oh my goodness! Where this gym is like the center of uh, wealth, entre- wealth, wealth makers and dreams. <laughs> yeah. You should see him at work. He's quite the networker. <laughs> <laughs> People like working and he's running around the gym, uh, talking to everybody here. Yeah, they don't call me the mayor of the gym for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Basil, thanks for coming in today. My pleasure. All right. Well, he's the boss of Boss Dog. He is the boss of Boss Dog, and so how we met. It's Basil, who for two years went pretty unnoticed in the gym, kind of, you know, head down, working hard. And I kind of messed that up for him because he had always wore this cool logo on his shirt. And, ah. and I didn't know what it was other than boss dog. I mean, who doesn't want to be the boss dog? Everybody. Everybody. So, so when I asked him about the uh, logo, he said, well, it comes with a company that I actually run. And one thing led to another. And there it is on the table. We're, we're, we're talking about boss dog today. There it is. And we're going to talk more about it. Uh, but more so, I mean, as Basil and I have got to know each other, um, it's he's he's more than just the owner of the current company. He's he's been um, quite successful successful over his business career and, and personal career as well. Um, but one of the things that I want to start with is the thing that intrigued me when you and I first started talking, Basil. And um, once you found out what I did, you said, "Well, I have a story about you know my advisor," and you told mm-hmm. me. Hey, and I think you were in your early 20s, and you met this guy who may have been early as an advisor. And you said, hey, I don't need you now, but I'm going to see you when I'm 35, and I'm going to have a million dollars to invest with you. Mm. And you told me, hey, this guy's your advisor now, and you actually came and showed up with the money. So tell a little bit about, you know, that's that's pretty young to be, you know, have have had a, a level of success like that. So yeah, I was what's your story? What's your story? vinegar back then. So Love that. No telling what I said. <laughs> but... um you know, I think uh, it just started early on. I had a motivation to work for myself. My dad was a um, chief executive for a large manufacturing and building company in the Middle East for many years. I actually grew up in Saudi Arabia for most of my elementary school. And so I got to see firsthand uh, him at an operational level. And so it was, um, I think, after a couple of ventures working for others and, um, you know, achieving great success for them, I realized, uh, you know, in my early 20s that I could figure this thing out and, you know, do it for myself. So uh, it was it was probably a cocky remark sometime <laughs> made in my 20s that, that luckily held true. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what are some of your earlier uh, your business ventures? Uh, I've been a party to a few, mainly within a CPG, a consumer product group arena. Um, energy bars, uh, there was a short, unsuccessful stint in moonshine. Uh, I, I learned how to liquor, uh, make, make whiskey, though, with the best of them. Um, I think you guys all got a bottle for I was going to say, I'm a benefactor yeah, of that. Yeah. Got one yeah. of the I've been afraid bottles. to try it, by the way. I'm no, no, not sure what to expect. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, and then I think probably the biggest project was a 20 year, uh, um, 
deal that I got into with a couple of other guys where we were fortunate enough to get right in front of the Greek yogurt phenomenon for humans. And it was in 2002 that we uh, founded a, uh, a Greek yogurt company. And, you know, we were just a bunch of young guys in our mid-20s, and none of us had built a brand before. I'd been a party to a few uh, brand ventures with other people's money. Yeah. And uh, and we just figured it out, you know, and it was, uh, you know, challenging the behemoths of the world. Uh, there was two, you know, global brands at the time that there was very little room for entry. And, you know, we just kept at it using grassroots uh, techniques uh, for, for years before we got any traction. And then, um, and then finally it started to turn. And, and then in 2010, we were acquired. And then, of course, you have... Um, a lot of bandwidth available to you at that point. And so a lot of learning that went on for sure in the last 20 years. Wow. So two questions, why and how Greek yogurt? Well, I'm Greek. Okay. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> actually the story goes, um, uh, Andy Hagen, whose family was the founders of uh, Hagen food and drugs, uh, in Washington, they're no longer, they're absorbed by uh, Albertsons a okay. while ago. And anyway, um, that you saw a few banners pop up here in, in Southern California there for a bit, but yeah. he came to me uh, 20 years ago and he said, uh, uh, "What do you know about Greek yogurt?" And I said, uh, "What any good salesman would say." Well, what do you need to know, Andy? <laughs> and uh, within three to four weeks, uh, me and a couple of guys, we all a bunch of Greek guys, and got together and decided uh, to put together a sample and we showed it to him and. We ended up finding a co-packer, which is pretty consistent with what we do in our industry. You find co-mans to help pack out, and um, and we, we had a run, you know. But you know, we went in and out of business probably two or three times, you know, just typical industry struggles. And uh, but that's how the Greek yogurt thing started. Originally, it was actually hummus, hummus and tzatziki. Yeah. For the first two years, and then we just couldn't make that work. And then when yeah. Greek yogurt came in, it just kind of monopolized our our all of our focus. So. So, for, so here's a couple of things I've learned today. First of all, uh, how do you act pr actually properly pronounce tzatziki, which is oh. how I say it? Zatziki? Zatziki. Yeah. Paul, make note. Kill the T. Zatziki. Zatziki. So okay. noting. Yeah. All right. Second is, um, here's my naivete. Yeah. I figured that Greek yogurt was like French fries. You know, like French really didn't invent the fries. Yeah, yeah. So I figured Greek yogurt was just a name that got applied to yogurt. It's not true. I'll tell you what it's now that I'm I'm out of that end, but I'm in a sense I'm still in Greek yogurt because Boss Dog's intro to market was Greek style frozen yogurt treats for pets, so uh, <laughs> I kind of jumped right back into it. But yeah, you know, there's uh, without getting too technical, there's yeah. really no standard of identity for Greek yogurt. So there's a standard that says you have to introduce certain probiotics, then you can call it yogurt. Greek yogurt's a marketing term. Now, if you go back to Europe or Greece specifically, yeah, there's a process for making what's commonly referred to as strained yogurt or Greek yogurt. And that's, in essence, what we did here in the U.S. Okay. A, a version of that Greek variety. Wow. Yeah. All right. So young kids, young boys, men uh, getting into the business, did you have um, advanced like education, training, school, or just like uh, learn as you go? All of us four-year um, mm. Undergrad, uh, but all the uh, operational savvy came from just working in factories, driving forklifts. I think for the first four or five years prior to the Greek company, um, you know, I was uh, running an operations for a soup and spice house, driving forklifts around, chopping uh, garlic and ginger all night long. So wow. we learned a lot of just you know hard work and and operational disciplines. And each one of us brought something specific to the table, but you know that was. 20 years ago now you know fast forward and um 
we've been a party to, or I've been a party to multiple industries now, and um, I've ended up handpicking four or five of my top people uh, that have been with me since day one, and they are actually um, the group behind Boss Dog now. Okay. And so it's it's uh, kind of a familiar house for us because we've all been working together since yeah. early two thousands. Yeah. All right, so that's a great segue. So Boss Dog, how does how does Greek yogurt go? Well, so yogurt tree, but how do you get from um, CPG to dog food? To pet. Well, I don't want to violate or my pet non- food. I don't okay, want to violate my non-compete. No. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no such thing. Uh, I'll tell you, I knew a lot about Greek. I, I knew a lot about digestive health. Um, beyond Greek, we actually did a lot of plant-based solutions uh, huh. over the 20 years, almond and coconut yogurt. So we learned a lot and, and, and had a lot at our disposal. I said, why not for pets? Uh, barriers of entry and pet are very high. Oh. And so it's a kibble and bits world, or it has been for the last 30 years, and you've only seen the premiumization of the specialty channel really in the last three years, millennial boom. Yeah. And it's a great place to be if you can get within the right segment. And I figured, you know, I didn't want to tackle the kibble people. <laughs> uh, so we found something that was uh, consistent with what our, our market strategy is, which is a narrow market entry. And uh, I didn't know uh, how narrow it was until I got into it because um, I thought people were just going to open their arms and willingly take Greek-style frozen yogurt and throw it on every shelf and then we'd be done with it. But unfortunately, the pet industry is severely lacking freezers. So <laughs> 250 freezers later, yeah. uh, you know, we had to end up purchasing our own market share in essence. And, uh, you know, we've got Greek yogurt in the market today, but yeah. uh, that you know, the whole basis for it was we just understood Greek yogurt, I think, better than most, and uh, we figured that it should apply to pets, you know, and so it's been really a great springboard for the brand, which focuses primarily on digestive health. So everything that we do focuses on and infuse with probiotics angle. Oh, okay, that's great. All right. My guess is you have probably the most healthy gut uh, in the gym right now. (laughs) Well, I don't eat the food, but... (laughs) (laughs) um, okay, cool. So, um, what challenges did you find on the way, other than the uh, the real narrow market? Yeah, uh, coming out of consumer products, uh, typically if you had pipeline innovation, four or five items that are coming out, and you're a relatively established brand, retailers like to rally around concepts like that, first to market, whatever the, the rationale is. Pet operates a little bit slower. And so, um, you know, think about an $82 billion industry that's run still largely today by brick and mortar, uh, mom, pa. That's an up and down the street service. So you've got to get out there and meet a lot of individuals, whereas, you know, historically it was headquarter call, one stop shop, 350 stores later, you, yeah. know, you had penetration. But, but uh, you know, pet. With all of its upsides, that's its challenge. It just is a slightly slower-moving industry. Uh, they haven't seen a lot of innovation over the last 30 years, so they're slow to receive it. And, uh, you know, there's a ton of sensitivity to uh, e-com and what dot-com's doing to the uh, the mm. brick-and-mortar channel. Yeah. And so there's, you know, certain strategies you need to follow if you're going to be successful in any of those. 
is your product available in e-commerce, or are you strictly brick and mortar right now? Well, I can tell you that we're we're focused on uh, Boss Dog as a specialty channel brand currently. Um, in the event that we do move channel, I can tell you that we're putting all of the measures in place to prevent um, uh, the issues, and the issues are generally, um, you know, price compression, and yeah. you start seeing some race to the bottom. So we're we're being very slow, and I'll tell you, we're just we're honoring the relationship with our retailers. Hmm. And uh, we're protecting pricing, and I think, um, by and large, everyone's just super enthusiastic with what we're doing. But moreover, uh, they can't believe how far we've come in 12 months. I mean, we've entered four different product segments within PET in less than 12 months, and over 30,000 points of distribution. It's just uh, one of the fastest-growing brand initiatives we've ever been a party to. So that that tells you the street and the consumers are responding favorably. Yeah. Yeah. How to um, just to keep things relative? So the yeah. eighty-two billion you said in this this industry, how does that compare to the the human uh, human consumption trends yeah. are, are much higher yeah. uh, on a global basis? Um, frequency for consumption, variety is going to be a lot higher. Sure. Um, it, it, here's the biggest difference I can give you comparing the two industries. When we walk into um, a grocery store, at best we'll ask for you know where's the bread aisle. And once we get over there, we're not going to need a lot of convincing to sway one way or the other. Maybe there's a spelt bread on deal and, hey, you know, I want to try something different. We'll go that way. And pet, it's completely different. When a consumer walks into a store, they either have a puppy, a sick dog, an older dog, or they just don't understand what's wrong with their animal. And they always go to the retailer for guidance. So to get conversion or change in the pet industry is hard because you've got to get um, what we call gateway penetration. And if you can't get the stores to support you, you know, there's just no building brands within pet because of that uh, sensitivity to change. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I had talked before, but the difference of, um, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, just actually going out and shaking hands. Like this is so much different, right. Than it's over headquarters, you know, and I did it for the first 10 years of of our last project. Um, and then I got out of it for a while because we were, you know, just working on this 13 week public company system and it was a different format for me and yeah now that i'm back at it again i love it you know i'm, I'm on the road three to four days a week it has you know it's downfall but um yeah getting out there and networking and meeting people and, and moreover getting deals done I, yeah I, I love it yeah you know? so you you've built this company from the ground up yep um so you went from zero to like what's your what's your staffing like uh well i've got five people that are you know, we're senior level individuals that came over from the last group. Yeah. So I've got a head of marketing. Uh, I've got a, a lady that's been in the office uh, for years with me that, that runs my entire back office, uh, marketing support team, and just a great group. Uh, I think the biggest challenge is uh, when you decide to bite the bullet and put your own team in the street because, you know, to, to get the kind of quality uh, up and down the street service, those guys aren't cheap. So right now we're, you know, using brokerage and, um, other means to um, to go to market, so that we're, I just need a little bit more brand maturity, uh-huh. and then we'll. But the, but the team is sound. I mean, we've we've got some very interesting um, platforms that a lot of the industry doesn't see. One of them is what we call at your service. So it's a focused on uh, empowering the retailer on every product placement opportunity, which is something that's kind of gone away from the industry. People like to set it and forget it, whereas we're big believers of in investing in taking the brand to market and then reinvesting back in the retailer mm. uh, to uh, protect your space. Yeah. And so 
that's working well. Do you see, like, for instance, I randomly uh, was in, I'm in Whole Foods a lot, randomly walking down the frozen food section, which I don't normally go by, and I saw a dog food in the freezer. Mm. Is that someone that you would call on at some point? You know, again, when you... You're, you're talking about another channel. So, I mean, if yeah. you if you, oh, if you carve up the yeah. industry, it's basically specialty channel. Yeah. Uh, you know, your big box, your your Petco's and PetSmart's, yeah. your e-com, and then you get into conventional grocery. I see. Um, that's going to probably be one of the, the latter channels just because um, they don't have carve-out specifically for specialty pet. Yeah. Uh, you can walk down the kibble aisle all day, but it, it, but it's evolving. I mean, if you walk through any store now, you start seeing refrigerators for pet foods yeah. at Target. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's just a matter of time before the industry pivots yeah. and does what it's currently doing uh, on every channel level. And it's going to be guys like us, I think, that probably start the trend because yeah. um, everybody's been doing Me Too innovation for the last 10 years. So yeah. to come out... And actually come out with real innovation is something the industry hasn't seen before. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of that, let's talk a little bit about your, um, we talked about the company, let's talk about the product. And other than the fact that it's good for their gut, what you have and why it's good for them. Well, I mean, again, Boss Dog was purely born on uh, the desire to bring digestive health solutions to pets. Yeah. You know, and so... uh, Within the last 12 months, we've come out with Greek-style frozen yogurt treats, uh, raw goat milk with DHA and taurine, this complete and balanced meal that's sitting on your desk here, freeze-dried raw diet for dogs. Uh, This is something that uh, we're really excited about because we size down the portions to what we have trademarked called nugs, and it, uh, it lets you use this essentially as a complete meal solution or a training tool, treat, or oh. mixer, or a topper. Huh. So it's got multiple utility, and yeah. each one of these nugs is infused with 5 million probiotics per cup. Wow. And then uh, Pro Puffs, which launches uh, uh, this week, which is the first to market the ancient grain Pillow Puff infused with protein and probiotics. <laughs> yeah. You guys are so... Yeah. So, so Paul's over there licking his chops. I don't know if we can keep him away that from sounds this. sounds good. Like, I want to eat <laughs> you, this you, stuff you here. You can eat the Pro Puffs. Forget Paul. my dog. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat this stuff yeah. here. The, the Greek froyo is human grade. All Has anybody long. ever done probiotics for animals? Because I know it's a big deal with humans, but I've never heard anybody talk about pro in, infusing pro or adding probiotics for pets. It's it's just starting to evolve. There's been supplements, but uh, supplements aren't sexy. And we're, you know, just like you like to enjoy an ice cream cone when you're relaxing, we like to enjoy watching our pet. Uh, enjoy a three and a half ounce frozen Greek yogurt, you know, so there's different ways to deliver probiotics. Historically, it's been just scoop and serve. Yeah. Now we're coming up with creative ways to infuse it into their regular meals. So you're not having to do assembly line supplements and you get everything in one is the idea. So (laughs) somebody was on a while, actually last year, the, um, I'm sure you go to it, the uh, Pet Expo at the uh, Orange County Fairgrounds is supposedly one of the biggest pet expos west of the Mississippi. And they have they take over the whole fairgrounds every year, and they were, they've they come here every year talking about, because I guess it's like the manufacturers of dog food mm-hmm. or something, whatever that association is called. And they have talked about the growth of this upscale category. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was a kid, you just gave them table scraps. And then we went to kibbles and bits. Mm-hmm. And now people are like, well, I want my pet to live longer. So my, our pets. So suddenly we're buying uh, upscale, uh, you know, good food and other sorts of things for animals. Is that is that continuing? How big is the market? It's huge, isn't it? Well, well first of all, that's a great show. It's a consumer show. It's out here in um, 
or Costa Mesa at the fairgrounds, right. like you were saying. I think it's in April. We uh, exhibit at the, this will be our second year. We're actually showcasing in the lab this year, which are only four vendors out of the seven or 800 that are there. Wow. So we're a primary. Uh, we'll have a 20 by 10 booth, an Insta photo, spin the wheel, the whole bit. We really, we like the consumers to have a great time with yeah. the brand and interface. So yeah. uh, I'll tell you the honest truth. There's probably 200 of those shows every year and a, a good handful of them that draw a, a lot of consumer base. Uh, and we get to them as, as many of them as we can. You know, most of our efforts really spent in adoption and welfare. And so we've worked with, um, we work with the head spokesperson for the Animal Humane Society, Mary Tan, and she came on about six months ago, and she's spearheading what I'm calling open source charity. And every month the team is charged to go out and save an animal, save a rescue, and we go to great extents. I think this year we're budgeted $150,000 for charitable contributions. This is at will every month wow. for the year. And that's a lot to say for a startup, yeah. but we're big believers in it. We're big believers in look at rescue first yeah. uh, and just a whole variety of things. There's a, a great couple out of Canada that just quit their jobs, Megan and Florian. <laughs> tell me about this. Did I tell you about this? Yeah, but... And they're, they're hopping in a van and they're taking the next four months. And they're going to hit every shelter and rescue in Canada. And we're well as best they can, and we're uh, we're going to showcase it for them and follow them, yeah. you know, and try to get uh, some dogs purpose to home and yeah. and be a part of that. So that's that's where we put most of our focus. But the consumer and trade shows are a, you know a big part of what we do for uh, showcasing yeah. new products. And how you big has this upscale market become here? I, I, I was I was flabbergasted the numbers they were throwing up about the pet yeah. industry as a whole, but particularly this upscale category. Well. I'm not going to get premium or whatever you're calling. Yeah, like like every uh, uh, industry, it it has its challenges, and currently, pet suffering from um, some backlash from um, uh, some FDA-related claims specific to certain products. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail because Boss Dog doesn't take a position on it. We just feel like we make products. If you're worried, we make products that solve those problems. Got it. Okay. and uh, what was your exact question? <laughs> I guess just how, how big the uh, any oh the premium the premium side. Yeah, I'll tell you what's driving it. Um, if it wasn't for this latest crisis, I would say year over year same store numbers would be double digit across the board. However, because of this crisis, I think it's skewed a lot of the um, the overall mix. But what we are seeing that's interesting is that the millennial consumption habits are filling the gap. And, uh, you know, that's obviously, I don't know how sustainable that is long term. You got to solve yeah. whatever's driving the industry down right now. But um, that's, um, I think. Or, or you've got someone like my wife who spares no expense. And I think, yeah. Right. I think that's the point. Yeah. I mean, people will spend anything and everything for their pets these days. Ba- yeah. Babies and pets. Yeah. Spare no expense. Yeah. Right. I don't right. want to be each. Yep. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what are some of your. Uh, you kind of hit on them, but like, what would you highlight as some of your biggest victories? We talked about your challenges. Uh, I think we stay, uh, you know, our team's great at uh, staying the course. And uh, I've seen too many younger entrepreneurs get in and then hit what's commonly referred to as the financial gap <laughs> or the financial pit. And you have to make a decision. You know, are you gonna are you gonna stand behind the brand or, or are you you gonna get out? And you know, I think we're really good at staying the course and running trial to avoid uh, those pitfalls. And um, at the end of the day, I think it it just always comes down to your ability to execute. Yeah. You know, and so you can you can talk a story all day if you can't get the group 
in a, in alignment and in a capacity to execute, you might as well mm-hmm. forget it. Do you have any particular um, either authors or podcasts or or anything like inspirational stuff that, that besides you, you on the podcast? Uh, besides me, yeah. yeah, yeah, good, good, good answer. Uh, by the way, you know, you I think you've heard me say uh, in the gym, uh, I'm, I'm a, I like to listen to Mr. Rogan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think he's got uh, a lot to offer. Yeah, he I does. Like, I like the way he challenges. I'm a big fan of his as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, books, jeez, uh, I don't know. I'm reading uh, something my wife gave me the other day about Leavenworth Prison System, The Hot House. Um, yeah, which is. Uh, it's a little bit darker than I typically <laughs> like, but, but I, on, you know, honestly, it's been uh, the last year has been so fast that uh, I haven't had a lot of leisure time. Yeah. But uh, normally, it. that uh, that's yeah. what I'll do. I'll listen to some podcasts and read a few books on the planes. All right, got it, got it. So one of the things that I have the honor of doing and asking my guests is um, the final thought question, mm. and that final thought question is: What is your ultimate lesson learned? I'm just going to say, as your career as a business owner, you've you've kind of crossed different fields in the time, but just as a, as a, a leader and business, business owner, mm-hmm. business leader. I touched on it briefly. It's, it's the persistence. Yeah. It's the, the, the wanting to push on and the, um, I think you have to embrace the fear of failure, uh, if you're going to go for it. And then I always take a vow of humility before every project because yeah. I've seen, uh, more often than not, ego get in the way of good business sense. Yeah. And so we, we leave that at the door. Smart. And, uh, you yeah. know, especially in the old group, you get three good guys in the room. Yeah. You know, and so we we just we just try to focus on what we need to do to move the brand yeah. forward. Yeah. So um, I have a, I have a copy of a book, and he was he, – he's an old gym friend of mine as well, uh, author and public speaker. And the title of his new book is Fail More. Uh, so it's right in line with your yep. thing. Just you yeah. gotta you gotta take a risk, and 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 failures are gonna lead to ultimate success. Um, my most favorite question though is, what's your guilty pleasure, Basil? My guilty pleasure. Well, it used to be wine before you put us all on this uh, <laughs> no, sixty day no booze thing. <laughs> uh, we have eight days left, Paul. We have eight days. You put him on a no booze challenge. Oh, it was elective. It was elective. Oh, okay. It was right. elective. All right. There's 15 of us. You, the wine connoisseur here? Yeah, I'm right there with them. I would say any of mom's Greek pastries. Oh, <laughs> nice. If we can convince her to come down here from Seattle, uh, that's Rizogolo, uh, Greek rice pudding. Okay. That's where it's at. All right. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. Never heard of that. What's it called? Rizogolo. Risogolo. Yeah. Sort of like that. So, okay. because I'm such a good competitor, I'm going to find some of that and get it shipped to your house so you can have a lot of it before yeah. our weigh-in next uh, nice. next week, Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Basil, thanks uh, so much for uh, taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. It was nice talking to you. Yeah, these were great uh, great responses, and I think the uh, audience is going to get a big kick out of this. So, in any event, I want to thank everyone who has tuned in, and we look forward to being in studio next week. Have a good week. Cheers. Tune in next week for the latest edition of the Zanbergen Report, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Catch up on our recent shows by visiting bartzanbergen.podbean.com. The Zanbergen Report is also available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Interested in being a featured guest on our show or have a question you'd like to hear us answer? Email podcast at bartzanbergen.com. Bart A. Zanbergen, CFP, and Letitia Burbaum, AIF, are registered investment advisors with Optivest Inc. 
and registered representatives with Gramercy Securities, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. Investment advisory services are offered by Optimist, Inc. under SEC registration.